0: We're continuing on in Ephesians and it's very easy when you get sort of wrapped up in the detail to forget the bigger picture. And initially I thought I'll just summarise it for you and I'll get it down to three lines and I thought, yeah, well that's not going to work. So instead I'm going to read you right up to the end of our reading this morning. So if you want to follow on, Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're starting in verse 1. So Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, and an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the, the glory of his grace, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise to his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, did not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you were once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding richness of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by which is, call, which is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, have abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple um, in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, that in other ages um, was not made known to the sons of men as it is now being revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the grace, uh, sorry, the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, creating uh, all things through Christ Jesus, uh, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through faith in him, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. It's a big reading. And summarising it is just a big job. This idea of we've been blessed just so enormously, you think about riches and it's going to come up in this passage. Close your eyes for a second. Everybody has either seen the gold in Fort Knox, a pirate movie where they have treasure, a mummy movie where they have treasure, I want you to picture it. All that gold just running down in mountains. According to God and His riches, it's chicken feed, which for those who don't read spy novels, it's loose change. This is the riches of God. And we're not talking about lumps of gold, but rather this um, plan that God has had to bring us from dead in sin to alive in righteousness. But more than that, there's a second part to it, to take the two Jews and Gentiles and bring them together into one. And that's my 10 second summary of the first two chapters. With all that picture in your mind, Paul then goes on to say, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And he's going to explain that as we go through the passage. And I won't read it again um, since we've just done that. Paul's going to go on in verse 14 to enter into another um, prayer and he sort of digresses a little bit before that and he's discussing his role in it and you'll see why as he goes through because where is Paul at the moment? He's in jail. He's in prison. He's a prisoner. And you about what would that do as you as a Christian? Here you are, here's the guy who's been preaching to you and he's now in jail. Where might it lead you? What thoughts might be going through your head? So Paul starts off, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles an interesting way of saying it. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you. Turn that around. I'm not there because I've been bad. I'm not there because I've broken the law. I'm in prison for you, for Christ Jesus. Jesus And we know that Paul was called to be um, an apostle for the Gentiles. It says so and he recounts his conversion um, in a number of places in Acts where you're told in 9 and then he recounts it in 22 and also 26 as he's um, giving evidence in some of the trials um, as part of that uh, imprisonment. And in verse chapter 9, verse 13, he says, This is um, when Paul's first converted, known as Saul. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And if you remember, Saul was out there persecuting the church. And And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is my chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and for the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And isn't it interesting, even in the first part, where Paul is um, chosen out for this job, to bear before kings, the children of Israel, and Gentiles the gospel, And tied with that is, and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And in Acts 22, um, as he's recounting it, um, Paul describes it as, um, he was said to me, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And again, that was Paul. And notice it's not exclusively to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews as well. But primarily that was Paul's job, to bring to the Gentiles the gospel, that amazing saving, um, grace of God. And he starts off with this idea of, if you have indeed heard, and a lot of people, when you think of if, we tend to use if primarily in one way. And that is, if it doesn't rain, I'll do this. And that idea of uncertainty but we also use it in another way. And the example is, if you do not know the day of your death, you should be prepared now. Now, in that, are we uncertain? A little bit, but we're not uncertain about dying. It's just we don't know when. And you could rewrite that as since. Since you don't know the day of your death, And can you see that he's using, um, well I'm saying to you, he's using if in that way rather than the other. The expectation is that they do know um, that Paul was uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. But he's going to be talking about it and he's using that to um, introduce it. And it's interesting because he uses this word which is translated in the New King James as dispensation. Uh, and the easiest way to think of it, so it um, I don't like you, uh, I don't know whether you like big words. I don't. I'm sure that someone invents big words in English to confuse people. But basically the idea, it comes from two words and they have the idea of law and house. So it's the law of the house. All right. The stewardship, the management, how the house is supposed to be run. So the idea that Paul's been given stewardship of the grace of God to the gent, to bring it to the Gentiles. So his job has been given to bring that to the Gentiles, to administer the grace of God to the Gentiles. Not that he's doing it, but by bringing the gospel. And he says, And again, this has come up a number of times in Paul's writing, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And the idea of Paul again stating that he was given the gospel by Christ. And there's a big um, discussion, and we'll just flip to it, in Galatians. And remember in Galatians the, the discussion about, Um, whether to go back to the law or not for salvation. But part of that is calling into his question Paul's authority for doing things. And he says here in Galatians chapter 1, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things which I write indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went to the region of um, Syria and Cilicia And I was known by face to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. But they were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God in me. And so not only was Paul received this by revelation, but he was known, it's it's interesting, Um, my son became a policeman and then chat IT. He now has a, um, a nickname. The cop who became, who went into IT. And that's Paul's nickname. The persecutor who went into preaching. Who went into proclaiming the very thing that he was persecuting. And he argues in Galatians that, no, I didn't get it from anywhere else. It was a direct revelation from Christ. Not only did he get this by revelation, but look at what he calls it, mystery. And they've been touched on this in the previous chapters and that's why I wanted to go back and read it. When we think mystery, what do we think of? Well, I think of um, Agatha Christie or something like that, you know, the mystery novels where you don't know where the ending is. But here it's this idea of that which was kept hidden, that which wasn't available, wasn't shown. All right? um, and, he, and again, he's, he's described what this was in the previous chapters, but he's highlighting it again, because he says, as I've briefly written already, chapter one and two, brief description Think about the enormity of what he wrote in chapter 1 and 2 and he calls it a brief description. And that's why you think about the enormity of what God has done. And we're getting this picture that he's presenting of this mystery. And he tells you what the mystery is um, in in verse 6. But his purpose in doing this is what? that by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he's writing this so that they will understand and consequently we will understand. Because what do you think about when you think about Gentiles? Gentiles are non-Jews and that's us. To a large degree. So we are recipients of the same thing. We too were once out. And have been brought in. We're part of that same amazing mystery that God has made from his own special people here and everybody else. One body. Saved from sin. Sin that we are just as much recipients. So it's just as much for us to understand what God has done for us and that mystery that he's talking about. And it's more than just, oh, well, you read it and you might get it, but this idea of get his insight, understand it, sort of um, we these days would go, write get a PhD in it, You know, that sort of intense knowledge, it's not just this passing thing, but to understand fully what God has done for us and all that God has pulled together for this to happen. And it's not like nobody knew anything. It's not the mystery in the sense of people didn't know that something was coming. We have passages in Genesis 12, a very familiar passage where Jesus, uh, not Jesus, um, God is talking to Abraham and he says to him, and this is that promise that Abraham was given, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse Um, him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, yes, the Jews, the special people, the descendants of Abraham, but it was always bigger. There was always this, in you all the world will be blessed. So the hints were there, even though it wasn't spelled out. But even within um, what Steve was saying last week, was that the, the Jews were supposed to be something special to the Gentiles, an example, a light. But yet God had bigger plans, and that was no more Jews, no more Gentiles. And so this, this promise was kept hidden and we got those hints and there's lots of other passages and I'm not going to go through them all but now he says it's fully revealed. You know it. It's been revealed by the holy um, the apostles the, holy apostles, the prophets and by the spirit. And we talk about John 15 where um, Jesus gave the promise of the spirit. But when the helper comes who I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the, from the father, he will testify of me. And remember, that was what the purpose of the Spirit was, to come and bring that Gospel um, as they took it out, um, starting in Jerusalem. And what was this great mystery? At the core of, the, of this, Christ died, salvation, and that both Jews and Gentiles will be co-sharers, joint heirs. Now imagine this. Picture Jesus and you're a joint heir. You're a joint sharer. Not Joe Blox. Not oh, I've just inherited a has down the road. I am a joint inheritor with Christ. And so are you, and so are the Jews and the rest of the Gentiles. And all that God put in place for this to occur. And he's destroyed any distinction that was between them. You think about passages like Ephesians 2, um, where it's been referred to earlier. For he made, in our, um, he made himself... For, sorry, I'll start again. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, have abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, Therefore, thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near." For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And similarly in Colossians, and it's interesting, note the verses surrounding this. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. For there is neither Jew nor Greek or Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, isn't it interesting? Behaviour, behaviour, and in the middle, the justification for it is... There's no distinctions anymore. I'm not going to come back to that in a minute. And in verse seven he picks up and says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And minister here is the same word that's used for deacon, but it's not used in that technical sense of, you know, church deacon. Rather it's one who serves. So he's describing, I'm a servant or a a service to the grace of God given to me. I'm here to serve that, to serve God um, and to serve that gift of grace, right? In bringing it about and delivering it to the Gentiles. In verse 8 he picks up um, on something that comes up in a number of places. all the saints. And Paul quite often uses this um, in his humility to say, look, I'm not big noting myself. I was given this, but it's not because I was any good. In fact, I'm the worst of the worst. And he makes reference to that in a number of places. But he he says, I was given that job to preach among the Gentiles those unsearchable riches of God. And it doesn't mean that you can't find them, but just this enormity of them. that The the amazing mercy and grace of God. And we, we have in the later years tended to kind of personalise this a bit and in a sense there is that element of it Christ is your personal saviour but the danger with that is you kind of focus it right down and here he's pulling it back right out it's not just me every single Gentile every single Jew are recipients of this amazing mercy and grace of God. And Paul is now, notice he's, he's saying, it's my job to do this, but again he's reminding them of what it is that he was doing. To make known, and that's another part of his job. It's not just for the Gentiles, but all men to bring to light or reveal the mystery, how the gospel accepted by faith was operating in men's lives. And so what I mean by that is it's not just Paul's job to make that known. But the idea was that what Paul brought changes the people that the gospel comes to and reveals to everyone what it is. because we're showing the world what that mystery is, the mystery that God's brought. And so, and again, nothing comes together without the sacrifice of Christ, you know, and he's the one who basically is the instigator of all this. And he refers to him as the creator as well. But we also need to bring about that manifold wisdom of God, to show it to all. And notice it's not, if you remember the passage where it talks about uh, in 1 Peter, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that was come to you. And the idea that even angels were seeking to find out about it, but rather it's now being revealed and also we have a part in that we have a part to show the wisdom of God. And how do we do that? It's by we as the church being the light. God's shown it in what he's telling us, but we have a part to play in that. And that is, think about the passage I had earlier. No Jews, no Greeks, no slave, no free, but what goes before and what goes after. And what is chapter 4 in um, Ephesians about? Therefore, things need to be different. Why? Because we need to be that light, shining, that mercy. What impact that has of God's wisdom in us. Because that's what God planned, right from the beginning. No plan B, and sometimes you hear that, ah, the crucifixion was just plan B. No, it was plan A. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Again, think about it. We have access to God. Think about how it used to be in the Old Testament where you had the temple or the tabernacle surrounded by the outer one And then you're on the outside and only the priest could go in there and only the high priest could go in there. But we have access to God. We have and that boldness, that confidence that comes through it. And think about it in Hebrews, seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may have obtained mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Is that you? Do you think about that and say I have a high priest who was tempted as I was and yet without sin and I have access to that high priest. Right? We have no reservations now. Nothing is holding it back. We have access to God that, and we need that boldness now where we can approach God and pray and bring things before him. Right? Knowing that he listens. And this is where I want to sort of conclude for today, because um, we're getting late. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Think about the question I posed to you to start with. Here's Paul in prison. Why? Because of the gospel. What's one possible outcome? Oh, that's all too hard. I'm going. And yet, what does he say? This is the one in prison saying it. Do not lose heart. He's the one suffering. He's the one in prison for his faith. And he's the one calling us to not lose heart. And it's not just here. It's over and over in different places. Colossians, you know, since we have received this mystery, as we have received mercy, do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And for the sake of briefness, I will leave you to read these on your own, but Corinthians 4, Galatians 6. Don't grow weary. For if you do not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so remember not only what God has done but also what's to come. That final when God brings us in as his children and we become the heirs the things that he's promised. And just to rub it in Keep going. There's more verses. And just to rub it in again. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And so then Jesus becomes the ultimate example of what he went through, the opposition that he faced, and yet he went through it. And we can too but we need to endure to become that joint heirs. So that lesson's for us. We too are recipients of that mystery. We're part of that same church. We have the same forgiveness. We have the same access to God. And again, we're to show the world the glory of God, his manifold wisdom. So don't lose heart. Suffering is momentary. Hardship, giving you a hard time because you're a Christian. But endure as Christ endured, that we may be presented to God perfect.